the podcast where two friends dive into the world of romance literature in order to find each other's and your next great lay I mean read <laughs> we'll explore it all classic bodice ripping historical romance provocative political thrillers sexy sci-fi and everything in between every week we'll each cover one story no spoilers we'll share our favorite moments which of your favorite tropes to expect and rate its readability how hot it is and how romantic it is We'll let you know if a book passes the vibe check, share any content warnings to watch out for, and most importantly, is it even good? I'm Lauren. And I'm Kendra. Now let the erotic nonsense begin. Well, hello. Oh, hi. (laughs) How are you doing? I am better. Better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So podcast land yes we didn't record last week Mm -hmm. um yeah luckily we were a week ahead yeah we were um because (laughs) yeah my little one-year-old brought covid home from daycare and it was such a beautiful gift shitty week (laughs) yeah it was i mean i went through like the whole range of emotions just frustration and annoyance and then like when she really got sick it was scary and sad and I mean, she she obviously never got sick enough to have to go to the hospital or anything like but that. She's not even two, so but she yeah, not she's little. Yeah. She's not vaccinated. Yeah, um, it's like horrible and sad when they even just have a cold. Yeah, it's really scary. Yeah, um, so it was stressful. And then I got sick, which I mean, I'm vaxxed and boosted, and God. was hoping um, to you know not get as sick. Um, but yeah, I mean breakthrough cases happen and I obviously got a very large viral dose from, <laughs> from <laughs> my tiny crusty, child <laughs> crusty almost two-year-old yeah um so. man I am really sorry yeah it was a rough week but I we made it through we did like the maximum quarantine so it's mm-hmm. been it's actually been 11 days since the onset of her symptoms or since she tested positive so yeah, yeah. so and you guys five are, like, days well since beyond. my symptoms yeah, yeah. so yeah Anyway, Man. I'm, yeah, really excited to be uh, not in the house, and yeah. <laughs> um, I'm real glad that she's going back to daycare tomorrow. <laughs> I can only imagine, wow. Um, that yeah. would be, it's like going back to early quarantine when you're like totally stuck in the house, except now yep. you actually have COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was very like, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's very strange because like I thought I knew like what quarantine was you know like we've been doing it for uh-huh. you know but it's like different when like it's totally different like well, it's just really complicated when yeah. it actually happens and then yeah. based on like when you get sick and everyone in your household is yes, sick and everything yeah. like the actual math of like figuring out when you're mm-hmm. allowed back in the world is kind of complicated right yeah oh and the whole five days thing is bs because yeah. i had symptoms for five days so like if i did five days from when i tested positive it like I would have still been like hacking yeah. nastiness everywhere, so I that oh, so the whole thing up. is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really, really glad that you're feeling better. Yeah. I'm feeling hella rusty thanks yeah. to our break <laughs> and definitely like was like, oh, I have all the time in the world. I can read other books. And then uh, was like. Snuck up on you. Oh, shit. <laughs> I have never been so ill prepared. Like, thank God I had today almost totally off because nice. I was literally on like page 40 of my book this morning. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, was oh that when God. I texted you? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it was a very close thing. And that, so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's just, that's how I work. I am a. Natural born procrastinator. I'm always working under pressure. (laughs) Deadline driven. Yes, very deadline driven. But Mm -hmm. normally I'm like just doing my deep dive on the day of or whatever. I'm not like reading the whole fucking book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm real good at doing my like first note, like the notes about the book and stuff like right away because I don't want to forget. But then I'm always like, I'll do a deep dive later. I got time. Well, (laughs) it's funny because I like will often write out the notes first, but then like today I... I normally, like, I'll go back and edit them. Because as I, like, mm-hmm. sit on the book for a day or two, my opinion might start to mm. change a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the mm-hmm. worse. And so I don't have that today, that buffer. But I think I feel pretty good about my okay. ratings. So anyway. I actually, yeah. um, I wrote down some stuff from an article to put in our intro. Because I... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Mostly because my piece is kind of short today. Sure. So, um, so I... I come across this article. I think it's actually really recent, um, but I was it, I came across it doing like research for a potential deep dive, and then didn't end up using it. Okay. Um, and I had shared to our Instagram stories that uh, Pride and Prejudice TikTok. Did you see that one? I don't. I'm it, sure I did. It's basically I like arguing between the 1995 version. Oh and yes, the, of or course. is it 96? Yes, yes. It's oh. 1995 and 2005. Five. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's like this whole uh, thing around the like hand flex scene. Uh-huh. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. So you've seen the millions of TikToks oh, on yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So the title of this article is "Pride and Prejudice is not a graceful period piece. It's a raunchy sex movie." And it's talking about the 2005 version. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> And then the, like, subtitle is uh, Look Past the Lauded Subtleness of the Darcy Hand Flex, and this film is littered with innuendo. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, So, yeah, so, like, her basic argument is, like, now that the hand flex is, like, all over and it's, like, Uh oversaturated, and then you realize that, like, the movie is supposed to be subtle, but, like, that part doesn't feel subtle anymore, so then, like, all the other, like, not-so-subtle parts, like seem comical and like overt now <laughs> and she also basically says that like it, she's rewatched this movie so many times because of the pandemic and whatever so yep. she's like she's like okay some some thoughts um so <laughs> there's like uh mrs bennett um is eyeballing like a hog's giant package oh at my one god point. <laughs> i remember that scene because i'm always like why is this scene in this yes. movie <laughs> and then uh <laughs> she calls him a moist mr collins <laughs> Oh my when god, he's all, I like, don't remember sweaty that. in church. <laughs> when he's like uh giving his sermon or whatever. And no. then apparently he says, and I like don't remember this from the movie at all, but like he's like, some virtues are only to be obtained through intercourse. Uh through the intercourse of friendship and civility. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so bad. And then, okay, and then this next part, I, like, want to quote the article because okay. I was dying. Um, another explicitly sex-laden scene features Lizzie walking around Darcy's house, blatantly eyeballing all the butts, balls, abs, and dicks on display in the statue gallery. <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. That is so, amazing. Yeah, and that article, um, it's a Jezebel article, of course, of course. Uh, by Sarah Rents. Nice. Rents. Yeah. I definitely saw someone like posit once that um, all of the like walking scenes are actually innuendo for sex in Austin. Oh, (laughs) so like every time they like go on a walk together. Oh, that's like (laughs) yeah, their version of. Mm -hmm. Oh, like like she's saying that when Austin Austin was was implying. Oh, yeah, they're like actually doing it. I don't think it's like no, (laughs) but I love to imagine it that Mm -hmm. way. Um, oh man, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but okay, and then also, so I've like never liked the 2005 Darcy like at all. I know, I that was my initial reaction. He's grown on me a little bit over the years, okay. But have but. you seen or watched the show Succession? No, I haven't. Everyone has told me to watch it like a million times. Well. He's in it. 2005 Darcy will be 100% ruined for you if you watch oh, he'll it. he'll be ruined for yes, me? Yes. I so did not realize it was the same person until reading this Matthew article. Matthew yeah. yeah. Okay. Him in Succession is like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's it will ruin Darcy for you okay. from the movie. Then I will Forever. not watch it. <laughs> Even though um, Brad tells me all the time that there's this like one salty old broad in Succession that reminds him of me, and he wants me to watch it just for her, but... If, I'm, I not, wonder I'm not about who. to ruin Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> um, anyway, well, that's hilarious. I actually have been thinking that I would like to reread some of my favorite Austins yeah. again soon. I thought maybe it would be fun to do on the podcast, but maybe also it would be boring. I don't know. We could do a special where we like both read one. <gasps> I love that idea. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, we should... Um, take this chance to ask people to email us their suggestions. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> so we have an email, and some, we've put it occasionally at the end of the episode, but we want to drop it at the top this time. So it's eroticnonsensepod at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from anyone who listens. Please definitely send us books if you have recommendations mm-hmm. or requests for what you would like us to tackle or for, like, special episodes, um, like doing an Austin-themed episode mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, we would love to hear from you guys. Yeah. Any corrections, thoughts? Yes, definitely. <laughs> thoughts, feelings, everything. everything. So we are here for all of it. Um, cool. Well, yeah, I feel like that's... Yeah, should we move on? Yeah. Okay, well, why don't we talk about our drink for tonight? Oh. And um, and then we'll take a quick break. So tonight, I'm going first. And the drink we are drinking is the pineapple ginger. And it is so called because one of the characters in my books has done a lot of world traveling. Uh, my book takes place in Regency, England. Um, but she has done a lot of world traveling and... Um, is interested in like science and botany and pineapple ginger is a plant that um grows in like tropical regions um and so they talk about it a bunch in the book anyway it's very good it's very good so it's two ounces of plantation pineapple rum three quarters of an ounce of ginger simple syrup and one ounce of lime juice shaken and served up in a coop Cheers. Classic. Um, All right. Should we take a quick break? Yes.
back. Let's do it. Um, all right. So this week I read The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite. Mm. How about this fucking terrible mm. cover? I love it. <laughs> it's so bad. I know. What are they even wearing? It's Regency England and they're wearing like Forever 21 special. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just am very uncomfortable by how young this woman looks. Like, mm. so young. Anyway. Um, but not a good indicator of what's in the book at all. Okay. So why don't we start with the back of book? As <laughs> Lukey Muckleney watches her ex-lover's sham of a wedding, she wishes herself anywhere else. It isn't until she finds a letter from the Countess of Moth looking for someone to translate a groundbreaking French astronomy text that she knows where to go. Showing up the, at the Countess's London home, she hopes to find a challenge, not a woman who takes her breath away. Catherine St. Day looks forward to a quiet widowhood once her late husband's scientific legacy is fulfilled. She expected to hand off the translation and wash her hands of the project. Instead, she is intrigued by the young woman who turns up at her door, begging to be allowed to do the work, and she agrees to let Lucy stay. But as Catherine finds herself longing for Lucy, everything she believes about herself and her life is tested. While Lucy spends her days interpreting complicated French text, she spends her nights falling in love with the alluring Catherine. But sabotage and old wounds threaten to sever the ties that bind them. Can Lucy and Catherine find the strength to stay together, or are they doomed to be star-crossed lovers? Mm. Um, as back of books go, it's actually not bad. Let's okay. kind of get the meat of the story across. Um, so for the cast, I have Michelle Dockery as Lucy. So Lucy is meant to be like in her mid-20s. She's mm -hmm. the dark-haired one on this cover. So she is a young woman. Okay. Um, and then I have Kate Winslet as mm. Catherine. Okay. Catherine is meant to be in her mid-30s. I think they actually specify 35 years old. Okay. Um, and so there's definitely a bit of an age gap, which always makes me uncomfortable at the beginning of a book. But um, it, it works. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and women are very sheltered in this time. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I think that, like, there's not a huge... Well, anyway, we'll get into it. Okay. Um, okay, so main tropes, there aren't really a ton, but forced proximity and kind of a, like, will they or won't they vibe for mm -hmm. a little bit. All right, so overall thoughts, what I liked. Um, okay, it took me a little while to get into this book. It is a little bit of a slow starter, and I think especially, like, compared to everything I've read lately, uh. which I have definitely read a lot of, like intense books mm -hmm. lately and yep. so that like gripped me early on and this one is not intense which is nice actually um but it took me a little while to get into it um and just overall it's like on the gentler side right you know um wasn't <laughs> there's no torture it was great <laughs> sound like you miss it? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> I just had to recalibrate a little bit. Well, wait until um, we talk about my book. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, well, um, let's start off easy then. So um, this book just, like, generally doesn't have a lot of tension or, like, really that much plot. Ah. Um, it's, you know, it's just kind of soft. It does it definitely, like, waffles a bit in the middle and, like, doesn't quite know what it, to do with itself. <laughs> um, and, like, 
in the middle, it also spends a lot of time on the like non-romance parts of uh, the plot, mm-hmm. um, which I, I actually did really enjoy, but like it's not a page turner. <laughs> so, gotcha. Um, but yeah, overall, I enjoyed the book. So Lucy's in her mid-20s and has spent her young adult years helping her father with his astronomy work, especially the math. So ah. she is a brilliant mathematician, and as her father got older and couldn't do all the work that was needed for astronomy, mm-hmm. she, like, basically took all of that on. Wow. Um, and he would just, like, come up with ideas for what they should, like, try and do. But wow. she was, like, the one doing all the work. Um And so her father's passed away, and, like, she's waffling a bit, like, not sure kind of what her future holds for her, because, like, as a young Regency woman Mm -hmm. and scientist, the world isn't really that into her. Right. (laughs) So um, she also is gay. So she has been in a relationship with another young woman for five years, which at 25 is, like, your entire adult life. Yeah. Um, And they went to school together as girls, but I don't think they, like, formed a sexual relationship till they were out. Out of school um but she also had other sexual relationships with other girls at, at school so like oh, she's wow, okay. known for a long time that she is yeah. gay um and that some of the students were lesbians was like sh- sort of an open secret at that school it sounds like which like honestly i think is probably the case for like every mm. boarding school ever that like oh. <laughs> you know <laughs> like surely i think there was a some of that happening often in like throughout history oh sure yeah um but her lover blindsides her by accepting a marriage proposal from a man obviously Mm. um and not telling her about it and so she just like hears when they read it's called like the bands when they read the bands in church yep (laughs) and um so that's where she finds out when they're like all in church together and then she has to like go to the wedding and pretend that everything is fine Yeah. Um, And then, so when she gets home from the wedding, she has this letter waiting for her from the Countess, Catherine. Um, This letter that says, like, I have this French astronomy text that I need to be translated to English. And she's like, yeah, that sounds good. So she literally, like, packs her bags and turns around and leaves, like, that minute. (laughs) So she is out of there. Nice. Um, And let's see. Did I... These, every time I print, it spits the pages <laughs> out in the wrong order. Okay. Um, and so their relationship is, like, really sweet. So I love how Lucy is just, like, unabashedly driven to be successful and, like, knows that she's smart, knows that she can keep up with, like, all these privileged little rich boys and they're, like, science club or uh-huh. whatever it is that's like, manages all of this, like, scientific growth <laughs> in London. Um, and Catherine is, like, clearly just totally bowled over by her when she shows up. And, um, it's just like, well, okay, like, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> and, uh, so Catherine is facing her own, like, new life of uncertainty after the death of her emotionally abusive husband. Mm. Um, she is, like, actually very nervous to have another huge personality in her life that mm. is, like got that crazy glint of academia in their Mm. eye and is like driven really hard um but she is definitely taken with lucy and like seems really into her unwillingness to be ignored because of her gender so there's this sort of like oh we're doing this oh we're doing this kind of Mm -hmm. like we're gonna go out and be women in science kind Mm -hmm. of vibe that Catherine is giving and i really like that um so 
there isn't a whole lot of narrative tension, like I said, or plot movement. Um, but I will say that if you are not a cisgendered man working in a male-dominated field, you will probably find this book very satisfying. Mm. It is, like, very gratifying to mm. see, like, women being successful in STEM. Yeah. In fucking Regency England. Yeah. Which, like, is not... Um, like, did happen, you know, mm-hmm. but just doesn't get talked about a lot. So, um, anyway, that is all super cool and satisfying. Um, and then the central relationship between Lucy and Catherine is just really lovely. Like, there's some light drama, because, like, otherwise, why do we have a book at all? But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, overall, their communication and ability to work through problems and, like, respect each other's boundaries is really healthy and nice. Um, and the, like, lack of shame or pain around a lesbian relationship is also really nice um so you know like yes they have to be careful they can't just like openly be in a relationship all over town but they (laughs) they do have like safe spaces and safe people where they can be more open which is nice so they have like this like little community that understands and they just like don't feel bad about it or like spend tons of time worrying about like oh well we get that caught is refreshing or yeah. yeah that's like none of the narrative tension comes from that um and so their relationship definitely begins like pretty early in the book so okay. i would not call this one a slow burn no. it's like 35 <laughs> percent in and they're oh like, wow yeah that's early <laughs> they're together yeah. um but you know, they're, the, it's like their relationship is a journey because this is Catherine's first sexual relationship with a woman. And so, like, they start their relationship oh, early, but, you know, like, any yeah. Um, and so it's the younger woman who's, like, got all the experience, mm-hmm. the sexual experience coming in. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. And there's, like, a fun dynamic there because <clears throat> I think it's, like, the younger woman, Lucy, like, feels a little bit like she's guiding Catherine through this, but then is occasionally reminded, like, oh, this is your first sexual relationship with a woman, but not your first sexual relationship. Right. You know? Yeah. And so it is interesting. Their dynamic is really cool. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, the the book is maybe, like, a little bit, like, girl powery in kind of a derivative way a couple of times that is, like, maybe doesn't take, like, the full scope of differences in our communities into, like, into account. But, um, and the representation outside of the central relationship is just okay. Um, but this is just a very well-written and, like, nicely illustrated, joyous lesbian love story which is super cool <laughs> um so the sex scenes like get hotter and hotter as the book goes on they are fairly plentiful and there's like some light uh dominant submissive play which is kind of mm. fun um yeah okay so overall i actually like wrote down that this book gave me some kind of outlander vibes not in like the central relationship at all but in the sense that the leads had like intellectual pursuits that they were passionate about Uh, and would not cast aside and were like a part of the novel uh like whenever i read outlander my favorite parts are all of the like botany and medical (laughs) parts you know (laughs) like i love it when she's like telling people how to use plants and whatever like that's my favorite stuff (laughs) um and so this book definitely had some of those vibes and like they talk about science and art because Catherine is an artist a lot um you know like it's not just about Mm -hmm. the romance so if you're into that then you will probably dig it all right cool so 
ratings, I actually gave it a 3.5 across the board. Readability was, it was pretty good. It, it's published by Avon, which is like a huge mm-hmm. HarperCollins romance publisher. But um, I feel like there were definitely a few times where like, I don't think that she was using, like, that word doesn't mean what you think it means. Oh. <laughs> um, and, like, the editing like was maybe just maybe a little okay. rushed to yeah. publish. Or, like, mm. it's, like, maybe not one of her first books. I actually haven't checked that. But um, mm. it is, it's good, though. Um, and then Hotness, same for me, 3.5. Um, you know, some of the earlier scenes are, like, pretty, they're not quite, like, fade to black, but... Um, the later ones are pretty good, though. Mm. And then the romance, 3.5. Um, it is a nice, like, warm, cozy book. But, like, the the really, it's all very light and kind of surfacy. Um, so that's why I just give it a 3.5 for the romance. Overall, 3.5. Really solid, yeah. like, light, happy weekend book. You can cram it all into a day. <laughs> <laughs> um so for the vibe check, there really aren't any content warnings for this book. There's some mentions of emotional abuse from the dead husband, but it's very mm-hmm. light and not explicit. And mm-hmm. um, so for most folks, probably will not be triggering. Okay. Favorite line. So I liked this line because I think um, for us who live not in Regency England, um, it really applies to anyone that you are not married to or really any relationship because divorce is very easy nowadays. Well, not easy, but it's not impossible like it was in Regency England. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay. So this is, they're talking about in regards to being with another woman because they can't get married, but I think it applies kind of universally. You could never sit back and let the official pieces of paper do the work for you. Oh, no. You had to choose the other person over and over again every time. What's worse, you had to trust them to choose you. It was horribly frightening, as though you started every day by reminding your heart to keep beating. Mm. Yeah. That's cute. It sounds like a, like a bit of like a cerebral read, like like a, I don't know... I don't want to give it too much credit in that regard. Okay. You know, the science, like, they spend a lot of time talking about it, but um, they don't really, like, like, there's no actual math happening, you know? It's just that, like, a lot of the plot has to do with um, what they're doing. And Lucy specifically, because she's the one translating this French work on astronomy, and then Catherine is actually more, like, coming to terms with the fact that she's not actually that interested in science, Mm. and she's more interested in art and, like, the other thing that was cool about this is so um, Catherine is like a, does like embroidery, so mm-hmm. like needlepoint, and there's this whole discussion about like can crafts be art? Oh, which is really fascinating. Interesting, yeah, because like you know this is a time mm-hmm. in the world when art was like it was such a part of like culture because you know like it was like the thing that young people talked about and did right. and saw and especially people with money mm-hmm. but also people without um but there's this idea and it's still obviously like is true today that like things that are done by women these like crafts like mm. any kind of needlework and whatever isn't like quote unquote real art mm. so there's some pretty cool discussion around that as well interesting yeah yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Is it cere- – I wouldn't call it cerebral. Okay. It doesn't feel like – I think of things being cerebral when they're, like, kind of detached and mm. dry. And this is not that. Okay. Um, but it definitely has, like, some 
interesting things to say that I thought were really cool. Hmm. It is the first in a series, too. There's some other ones um, that are very similar. So, okay. Yeah. I really liked it. Um, okay. So for my deep dive today, <laughs> I definitely, like, started by casting a broad net, realized that it was, like, 10 dissertations worth of information, <laughs> and had there. to, like, narrow, 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 narrow. But, um, so I want to talk a teeny, tiny, itty-bitty little bit about lesbian love in Regency England. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> um, so my sources were a Vice article called The 18th Century Lesbian Icons Everyone Assumed Were Just Close Gal Pals by <laughs> Siobhan Ball. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Smithsonian article titled The 19th Century Lesbian Landowner Who Set Out to Find a Wife by Bridget Katz. The Online Etymology Dictionary and, of course, Wikipedia. Um, okay. So I would have loved to get way deeper into lesbian love and relationships in Regency England, but of course it is far too complex a topic for like a short deep dive on this podcast. Um, but after some preliminary research, I really just want to chat about this one couple, maybe couple, um, that became rather famous for their romantic friendship in the early 19th century. (laughs) So many folks may know, despite the root word being fucking ancient the word lesbian you know to refer to a woman who is attracted to another woman only dates back to the late 19th century mm-hmm. so the first like published use of it in 1870 um the regency period in england is from 1795 to 1837 so well ahead of the use of the word lesbian um and there really was no word for that at the time like homosexuality was considered to be men attracted to men only. Um, And homosexuality was illegal and punishable by law and death for like half Mm -hmm. a millennia in England. Um, And, but interestingly, like um, relationships between two women were not a part of that. It just like didn't occur to them to make it illegal, which is interesting. thought it was real. Yeah. I mean, they just like didn't think about it that way. Um, so very close or even what's called romantic relationships between women were generally considered normal or even like encouraged during this period. Mm. Um, and romantic friendships were widely assumed to be sexless, but extremely deep and intimate relationships between women. Um, and honestly, I probably think a lot of these relationships were what we would consider to be platonic. Um, I actually think that like the, um, the, what we like expect to get out of our intimate partner relationships in these days and like how much they are supposed to like be to us that is like kind of a new thing you mm-hmm. know like that you expect your partner to be like your best friend be and partner and everything yeah. yeah um but in regency england like what would a husband and wife really have in common or have to talk about at the end of every day like God. they barely <laughs> Yeah. Procreating. That's it. Like they barely live any of their lives together. Yeah. So um, to me, it kind of makes sense that like a woman's deepest relationships would likely be with other women. Yeah. Um, Even if they are sexless. Right. Um, But I also definitely think that a lot of these relationships were not sexless (laughs) and um, they were not just friends. Um, But the beauty of that is both of those things can be true. Right. So um, I just wanted to talk about this one couple that I found. So their story just like 
so amazing. Um, so I want to talk about the ladies of Langollen. Um, so these were two Irish women. Um, and I just feel like they really need like their own mini series because mm. it is their lives were crazy. Um, <clears throat> so Eleanor Charlotte Butler, born in 1739, um, was the child of a very affluent family who uh, really considered her to just be like a big old nerd. They just were like, you are so bookish and boring. So they like <laughs> sent her uh, to a convent for school. Um, they were always worried she would never get married. So that's Eleanor. Um, and then Sarah um, Panzondi. Ponsonby, Ponsonby, um, was born in 1755, so a few years younger. Uh, she was actually orphaned as a child and raised by relatives in County Kilkenny, which is also where um, Eleanor lived. Um, they were, like, about 15 miles apart. And she was raised by family, but her guardian, who I think was, like, a great uncle or something, was hoping to snag her as his second wife and, like, what? was planning this before his first wife had even died, Ugh. which is Ew. fucking disgusting. Um, so She probably had some inheritance or something. Yes, I'm sure there was something that he was going to get out of it. But, <laughs> I mean, you'll see it's not just about money. So these two gals met at their Catholic school at the convent, um, and because they were of a similar class and from a, the same region and shared the same religion, their families actually encouraged their friendship, right. thinking, like, both girls will benefit from this companionship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that relationship continued when they left school and came back home, but their closeness soon started to concern their family. So, you know, there's like a line, right? Right. When you cross, then it's no longer okay. So, uh, concerned that Eleanor would never marry, her family decided they were going to send her back to the convent to like train as a nun and fucking just banish her forever and get her out of there. Um, and meanwhile, Sarah was fighting off the sexual advances of her uncle, guardian, whatever. And so they are both like like fucking miserable and they're like let's bounce so they decide to run away um and they like fucking run away in the most spectacular way possible they sneak out in the middle of the night they meet each other on horseback one of them is carrying a pistol the other one has her lap dog and they flee (laughs) into the night Only the important um, things. <laughs> right? Um, but they stop to rest in like a damp, gross old barn and their oh. family finds them oh, there. No. So they get alerted and they get, they are actually like convinced to come back home because I guess Sarah's health is not great. Oh. And so, yeah, it's very sad. Um, so they go back home Um And then they try and run away again. So Sarah gets caught, like, out in between their estates in the middle of the night trying to meet up with Eleanor. Let them go. Um, I know. So anyway, the whole time they've been helped along by Sarah's maid, whose name is Mary. Um, And with her help, they eventually convince their families that, like, they should just let them go. So, But, of course, no one's fucking happy about it. So, like, they give them a little money, but way less than they would have been entitled to Mm -hmm. if they had, like, gotten married like they were expected to. Um, But... They decide that it's the families decide it's best to let them go and be like, oh, it's okay, they're just friends, they're gonna travel, whatever, and like avoid scandal. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the two women left their homes in Ireland along with the maid, Mary, who went with them and uh, like enjoying their new freedom by deciding to take a tour of the Welsh countryside where they eventually settle in North Wales. Um, where they live first in a rented home in the village of Langollen. And then in 1780, they move to a small cottage just outside of the village that they call 
I'm going to try to say some Welsh words. Oh. <laughs> um, plas nuid, nude, nuid, or new mansion in ah. English. Um, so they had a very meager income that they had secured from their relatives, far less than they would have had if they had married. But with it, they slowly set about, like, just improving their new mansion as best they can in the Gothic style. So it's like there are pictures of it i'm not sure if it's still standing um but it's gothic style with welsh oak paneling pointed arches stained glass windows huge library where they received many guests um and they hired a gardener a footman and two maids so they're like setting up house did it little, they really did it um and after a while their life together actually started to attract the interest of the outside world they were like what are these well, these two, what are they doing? What are they doing in there? <laughs> um, and they became, like, really wonderful and famous hosts. So they had, like, improved their estate. It's this cute little pocket, you know, in North Wales. Um, they've got a big garden that they planted. They have a dairy. Um, and they started hosting people. So they, like, hold gatherings. They've hosted writers like Robert Southey, William Wordsworth, Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, Sir Walter Scott. Wow. Um, um, and Lingollen, the people of the town near where they lived, just referred to them as the ladies. <laughs> um, and Anne Lister from Yorkshire also visited the couple. So Anne Lister is another famous lesbian figure from history. I actually wanted to talk about her during this deep dive too, but there just wasn't time. Um, and so she's been a famous figure in history for a long time. Cause she was a woman who like ran her family's estate and like established herself in coal mining and was like a woman out there working in industry and running shit. And it was only revealed that she was a lesbian in the eighties when, oh, wow. yeah, like a new, um, historian got a hold of her diaries and oh, wow. there she a lot of them were in code and so i think like so historians had known that she was uh -huh. a lesbian but it wasn't they didn't say anything mm. um so in the 1980s this historian was like well i think it's, it's okay time it's to time yeah and anyway that this is a side tangent but she has extensive diaries where she goes on and on about like her different love affairs with women and she actually tried Amazing. to marry a woman anyway super fascinating figure and there's a great HBO show about her called Gentleman Jack oh so good yeah so if you haven't I watched I did that, not know that that was a true story it is anyway <laughs> so cool um okay so anyway the ladies uh the Langollen ladies were known throughout Britain and have been said to have led a rather unexciting life, quote unquote. <laughs> but um, Queen Charlotte even wanted to see their cottage and persuaded King George III to grant them a pension. So that's like how they were able to do a lot more. Of wow. The, yeah. Improvements on their cottage, which is so cool. Yeah. Like, anyway. Um, so Mary Carroll, the maid, died first on the 22nd of November, 1809. Eleanor followed in 1829, so made it another 20 years. And then Sarah died just two years later um, in 1831 at the age of 76. They are all three buried together at St. Colleen's Church in Langollen. Um, and, oh yeah, and the cottage is now a museum. Run by the city council. I want to so go there. It is just so cute. Um, and so they did keep some diaries, which mostly talk about, like, all their events and the work they did on their cottage and everything. People are like, there's no proof that they had a sexual relationship. Mm. 
And so it's possible that they didn't. Um, but I just think their story yeah, is so Yeah, I cool. mean, either way, like, you know, we can celebrate a friendship with or without a sexual relationship, you yeah. know? So good for them. Romantic friendship. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was a really cool story. So that that's so all. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a hard 180. Oh, God. <laughs> <my> okay. <laughs> so let's take a quick yeah, break. Yeah, let's take a break. Make another drink. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll tackle it. <laughs> All right. Ready? We're back. <laughs> so I read Flames of Chaos by Amelia Hutchins. That's right. Okay. And honestly, if I were to pick a book that might be the exact opposite of the one you read, I think this would be <laughs> oh, <no>. it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read the back of the book. Okay. Arya and her sisters return to the human realm of Haven Falls to find one of their own that's gone missing. They soon discover that things have changed in the human realm and that nothing is what it seems, including Knox, the egotistical, self-centered, frustratingly gorgeous man who declares himself ki- who declared himself king during their absence. Sparks fly when the two enter a fiery battle of wills as Arya learns she is more than just a witch in the Hecate bloodline. She is much, much more. Will Arya embrace her savage side to find her sister and save her family? Or will she burn to ashes from the heated kisses and burning hot embrace? (laughs) Nox has ulterior motives for being in Haven Falls and never expected the little witch to show up and brazenly challenge his rule. It was supposed to be easy. Get in and get out. Move pieces into place and set the stage for the war he's been planning for over 500 years. Arya is his sworn enemy, but something within her calls to him, and he hates himself for craving the fiery kisses that have reignited his cold, dead heart. One taste, and he thought he could get her out of his system. He was wrong. <laughs> will, will Knox let go of the memories of his past, driving his need for revenge that will destroy the pretty little witch he craves? Or will he push the boundaries to his fight for and claim what is his by right? Either way, war is inevitable, and nothing will stop him from... Nothing will stop him from reaching for what is his. Okay, that tone. <laughs> Did it infuriate like, you? Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know I will eat this shit up. Like, I read A Court of Thorns and Roses and, like, mm-hmm. yes, I enjoy it. However, <laughs> the condescension, I don't know if I can take it. You would not get past the first chapter of this book. God, okay. (laughs) I think I only got past it because I was listening to an audiobook. Okay, okay. (laughs) All right, so casting this book. um, All right, so I have Kristen Ritter as Arya Hecate. Oh, okay. Do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, And then Knox, I have Charlie Hunman. Sons of Anarchy is the only thing I can... Oh, is that how you say his last name? Hunman? I don't know. It's H-U-N-M-A-N. Oh, I totally always was reading that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yes, I know who you're talking okay, about. Okay, yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> I just feel like I'm just like so resigned to talking about this. <laughs> yeah. like, all right, so tropes. Um, I mean, I think you get the gist. It's like uh-huh. almost lovers, or sorry, almost enemies to lovers, but I think it's more of like a love-hate relationship yeah, type thing. Yeah, because it doesn't um, sound like they really stop being enemies. 
Yes. And then it is, it is absolutely erotica. Like there, it is like, I would say there's like maybe more sex scenes than non-sex scenes. Whoa. Okay. I mean, mm, at least 60, 40. Wow. So it's a lot. Um, so how long is it? Is it like, um, so I listened to the audiobook and I, it was pretty long. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, it's fine. I was just curious um, if it was like sh- a shorty. No, it's okay. it's long. Um, okay, uh, I mean it, it's described as erotic fantasy, and that's like pretty accurate. Yeah, um, rather than romantic fantasy. Yes, yeah. and then like the type of erotica is like it's like very like animalistic with like questionable consent. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Uh, and then there's also the trope of virgin main character, which we've talked about before. I did not, not care my for. favorite. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so I'm gonna do content warnings right off the bat because I'll be talking okay. about those. Um, so like sexual abuse, derogatory behavior and language towards women, emotionally unhealthy behavior, violence, imprisonment, imprisonment, emotional and physical coercion, rape, miscarriage, murder, and mutilation. <laughs> Okay. It's got it all. <laughs> Damn. Um, okay. And so there is like a like a page listed warning um, in the beginning of the book written by the author. Okay. Um, but for me, this warning fell a little short because it's not a content warning. None of the things I just listed as a content warning, trigger warning, whatever, are listed there. Um, but I'm going to read part of it because I feel like it's a little, I don't know. Um, I'm just going to read. Okay. Okay. So she says, this book is dark. It's sexy, hot, and intense. The author is human as you are. Is this book, is this book perfect? It's as perfect as I could make it. Um, and then she says some other stuff. Um, and like she talks, so she's like about the hero. Chances are you may not fall instantly in love with him. That's because I don't write men you instantly love. You grow to love them. I don't believe in instant love. I write flawed, raw, caveman-like assholes that eventually let you see their redeeming qualities. They are aggressive assholes, one step above a caveman, a caveman when you meet them. You may not even like them by the time you finish this book, but I promise you will love him by the end of the series. Oh boy. Okay. That sounds more like justification than a content warning. I know. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the last part of her warning, cause it's actually kind of long, so I'm not gonna read the whole thing. Um, I don't write love stories. I write fast-paced, knock you on your ass, make you sit on the edge of your seat, wondering what is going to happen next books. If you're looking for cookie-cutter romance, this isn't it. If you can't handle the ride, unbuckle your seatbelt and get out of the roller coaster now. If not, you've been warned. If nothing outlined above bothers you, carry on and enjoy the ride. Okay, but she didn't really actually outline any of the content. Like, that could apply to a lot of stories that Mm -hmm. do not have, like, major content issues. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I felt like this book could absolutely have used a more explicit trigger warning at the beginning. Um, And I also, so I listened to the audiobook, and the audiobook did not have that page warning that's in the Kindle or whatever printed version. So I didn't even have that when I, like, listened. And I knew it was erotic fantasy, and I think I saw that it was, like, dark romance. But, like, and I'm, I actually, so, spoiler, I'm doing, I'm talking about dark romance for oh, my deep okay, dive. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, a little bit. So, um, so I didn't really know, like, what, quote, unquote, dark romance meant. I just thought it meant, like, in a dark, you know, I didn't think it meant consent issues, uh-huh. <laughs> which apparently it does. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Um, anyway. All right. So um, moving on, starting with what the book does well. The book has really excellent, dirty, raunchy, animalistic sex scenes. <laughs> like, okay. is there questionable consent? Absolutely. Does it cross the line into rape? Mm, yep. Okay. <laughs> um, between the main characters, even? Like, mm, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's not cookie cutter black and white, but like, yeah, I would call it rape. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Because of that, yeah, like, this thing wasn't, this book wasn't my thing. Um, but if that is your thing, um, you'll fucking love this book. Um, and, like, no kink shaming. Um, you know, there were still times where this book absolutely worked for me. Yeah. Um, and I kind of hated it. Right. It made me feel <laughs> like shit. Like well, what I... <laughs> hate about it is like less the content and more how it's presented Mm -hmm. like uh i just don't like i don't really like the tone that that author took that was like if you can't handle it unbuckle your seatbelt and yeah okay that's the kind of the vibe of the whole there's a lot of that's the vibe of the whole book there's a lot of talk about wanting to like destroy someone like sexually (laughs) okay well i mean fine like sometimes um but yeah i just think people should are entitled to know what they're getting themselves into Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um okay uh and then um so yeah so like it was still kind of like working for me but like Mm -hmm. at the same time like in my head i was like why do i like that like, yeah. I don't want to like this. But I, um, I feel like if you knew what you were getting into, yeah. you would have been like, okay, I'm doing this. And mm-hmm. like, I know, it, you know. Well, like, within like a chapter or two, I knew. Yeah. And I could have stopped. Yeah. And, right. Well, but, and, but just because you don't want something in real life doesn't mean that you don't enjoy reading it. Oh, yeah. true. Yes. Yeah. And we will get to that. Okay. But um, anyway, so uh, I, one of the things that like really pissed me off was that like, this is a fantasy book, and yet, like, the fantasy, there's still, like, this fucking patriarchy bullshit. And, like, at one point, I was like, can we just, like, have some, like, fantasy worlds that don't have the patriarchy? Like, (laughs) I'm sure they're out there. I mean, I, like, fantasy is a great way to, like, through allegory, explore the issues we deal with on a day-to-day basis. But it is sometimes nice to just imagine, like, can I, I'd love to read, like, a matriarchal fantasy erotica series. I mean, yeah, yeah, those are out there. Anyway. um, And then, yeah, the, like, and it wasn't just, so getting back to, like, the virgin main character trope, like, it wasn't just that, like, she was a virgin and they're talking about like the importance of virginity or whatever. It's like it, it, they, it, they made it like her losing her virginity as being like part of a magic spell that they needed. And I was just like, ugh, like virginity isn't even measurable. So we can't uh, yeah, they're like, spell. they needed the blood from a hymen of a Hecate witch. Well, you know what? They <laughs> what might if, get shit out of luck. Right. <laughs> My exact point. Anyway. Um, all right. So talking about like moving on from that, like that's, that's what it is. Um, we'll talk about it more in my deep dive. But okay. um, so talking about the like fantasy setup world building, um, just to like get a little bit more into it. Cause I did dig the setup. Um, Aria, she's a witch of the Hecate bloodline, which the back of the book got a little wrong. They haven't returned to the human realm. They're living in the human realm. Okay. 
Um, but they come back to, like, the town that they grew up in. Okay. Um, and so, like, her family is descended from, like, this original witch goddess person, um, Hecate. Um, and so, and at some point, her line has been cursed so that the women only have female children. And oh. they always have twins so that, like, they're never alone. It's Which, it's kind of interesting. interesting. That's yeah. a cool set. I like that premise. Yeah. Um... And so she is one of 16 daughters, so eight, I think it was eight sets of twins, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, and so then, and I think in her mother's um, generation, there's only two. So it's like her mom and her aunt. Um, and so there's all this talk about like, um, oh, so each set of twins has like a different father from like, and they're all like, the fathers yeah. are all like these different like species. And they talk about oh. how um, all the other twins know like what kind of, um, creature they are or whatever and they go through like a change sort of like puberty where like like one of the sets of twins is part alpha wolf and they like have these like wolf like characteristics okay. um, but Arya and her twin don't know what their father is and so like they never really had this like change um, okay. so like they don't know it and there's like this whole talk about how they have a monster inside them. So this um, is like separate from the witch thing. The witch thing. Yeah. Is so from she's their half side. witch, okay. half something else that she doesn't oh, know. Okay. Um. Yeah. I'm into that setup. I um, love that. Yeah. And like, side note about the like alpha wolf thing, which is like kind of an example of like how the fantasy in this book needs a little work because there's like a pack of alpha wolves. But that doesn't fucking make sense to me because <laughs> like an alpha, alpha wolf wolves. is an alpha. Yeah. yeah, and they also talk about, like, the leader being, like, the alpha, but, like, the alpha of the alphas, and it's, like, fucking pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so, like, the, the setup was fucking on point. The storyline was real repetitive, and, like, it got bogged down by all the fucking raunchy sex yeah <laughs> and like there was a whole part in the minute in the middle so like it talking about in the back of the book like um aria's looking for her twin like her t- twin has gone missing right. or whatever um and they find out that like this nox character or whatever has like come to investigate but like nothing happens and then supposedly like aria is like looking for her sister but then like does jack shit to try to find her other than like get boned a bunch of times and get like captured <laughs> and like have to like fight a bunch of people yeah. and like makes no sense um but then when you get like maybe 75 percent of the way through the book all of a sudden the boning stops and the plot comes back and it's real good <laughs> like That's at funny. the end i was like into it i was like sitting in my car in the garage like trying to listen to the rest of it because right. i wanted to know what happened <laughs> so like it's like there's all this, like, repetitive stuff in the middle and all this, like, boning that, like, wasn't bad, but I I don't know. It was, like, very... You were just, like, treading water. Like, yeah. that's such a fantasy thing, like, that, you know, it's, like, especially in series, too. Yeah, like, oh, the whole middle absolutely. book sections yeah. would be, like, so... But, yeah, like, where the last 25% of the book, you're fucking riveted, but everything else is mm-hmm. painful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so, and then it ends on a cliffhanger, kind of. Um, oh, so it's a series. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, like, fantasy world setup was great. The whole, like, building needed some work. Um, and there was lots of, like, Arya 
is like a special being, right? Like they don't know what she is. So like part of the whole thing is that like she doesn't follow the rules of this like fantasy world, but like the rules of the fantasy world needed to be established more to like know what rules she yeah. was breaking instead of just seemed like everything just was like, like there were no are rules. Just saying you're felt breaking like, the rules. Yeah. But there's no rules. So it's yeah, like or, oh. yeah, anyway. yeah. So all right, yeah. Uh, so that's pretty much that. Um, again, like, I cannot warn you enough. Like, non-consensual things happen right off the bat. Like, if yeah. you don't like it, don't read it. All right, ratings. Um, readability, 3.5. Hotness, I debated on this because I think... So I put rated it high. rated it at 4.5 because... If it's your thing, it's super hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, Definitely very subjective. But yeah. Yeah. Um, romance 2. Overall, <laughs> at 3.5. Okay. Like, yeah. Um, anyway. Um, so, like, vibe check, content warnings. We've already talked about this, but yeah. hell no does not pass vibe <laughs> check. Um, all right. And my favorite line is really long. I'm going to actually cut some stuff out of it but like this is gonna get you and I like had to pick something that was like I tried to pick something that was sexy but not like an actual sex scene which was hard <laughs> to do <laughs> um alright here we go <clears throat> he leaned down and my mouth opened and closed while he lowered his head brushing his mouth against mine I held my mouth shut watching him until the room began spinning and I closed them oh and I closed them to be okay sorry there's a typo here (laughs) and i closed them to stop from being swallowed up by the ocean swimming within his gaze his tongue prodded my mouth to open and i did letting him taste the alcohol i drank earlier his hands slipped beneath my head and before i could argue he had me sitting up without ever breaking the kiss Knox deepened the kiss the moment my tongue slipped against his it began pulling at something within me. Knox didn't just kiss me. He sent electricity rushing through me, opening something untapped within me. It was all-consuming, earth-shattering, and I felt him everywhere at once. As if by kissing me, <laughs> this man had slipped into my soul and was leaving his name written in permanent ink. Knox took the air from my lungs, slowly giving it back to me with his kiss. I inhaled every inch of him into my lungs hungrily. He deepened the kiss, making it primal as something snapped within me, and I couldn't get close enough to him. I couldn't get enough of him. His hand slipped to the back of my neck, holding me as if he feared I would escape his hungry kiss. But but thought wasn't something I could achieve with his mouth against mine. His other hand lifted, tilting my chin to gain further depth, which which I wasn't sure I should allow. He wasn't asking. He took, and I gave. The heat that shot through me wasn't pleasant. It was fucking delicious. And I craved burning to ashes from the intensity of it. And then there's, like, more (laughs) that I cut out. And then, um... (laughs) What the fuck just happened? I whispered, touching my swollen <laughs> lips. The man kissed like he was going to war, and my mouth was an enemy he wanted to destroy. It was brutal yet beautiful. I wanted to feel it again, to see if it ha- to see if it happened again. I had, I'd had boys touch my lips, but never anyone as terrifying as Knox. The man didn't just kiss. He fucking dominated you, and you went with or got destroyed in the wake. Oh, honey. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I I'm here for some dark romance things, but I do have trouble with the like virgin and the like fucking five hundred some year old male. I won't say protagonist, but lead. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, wow, I can't believe that you cut stuff out of that. That I was know, super right? long. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, and that, like, fine. didn't even have any of the, like, I mean, there's a little bit of consent issue in there, but that's, like, pretty um It's pretty mild. mild. That, yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. All right. So for my deep dive, um, I am going to be talking about dark romance. Um, I mostly took this from a single article um, from bookriot.com. Oh, okay. Um, it's called The History of Consent in Romance. Oh. So very uh, appropriate. Um, it's by Nikki DeMarco. And she actually has a bunch of um, articles on there about like different aspects of romance that look cool. interesting. I'm very interested to talk about this because I think that um, it's a really fascinating subject and it's just all about how it's presented, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the whole thing is like there's something for everyone out there. You mm -hmm. just need to know what you're getting into so mm -hmm. you don't get accidentally traumatized. Mm -hmm. All right. So the first thing that the article discusses is the term bodice ripper. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I didn't realize that that term was kind of synonymous with lack of consent. I assumed the bodice ripping was consensual bodice ripping that yeah, like well, both parties just wanted to bone so hard and historic yeah, dresses were too I, difficult. Yes, I, so you had to rip exactly. them. Exactly. I guess I associated it with like historical romance. But I mean, this makes sense also. Yeah. yeah. Um so apparently the, the term was first used in 1978. And according to Merriam-Webster, uh, it's defined as historic or gothic romance, typically featuring scenes scenes in which the heroine is subjected to violence. Dang. So I did not know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Um, so the first book uh, that was thought to be of this genre is called The Flame and the Flower from 1972. I talked about this book in a deep dive. You did? Last e season, I think. Yeah, I read about this book because it's like a very, it's like a... It's a very famous, like, early romance novel. Mm -hmm. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, I apologize. I do no, not remember no, what you totally talked about. I don't either. That's <laughs> okay. why I'm like, I talked about it, and um, that's all I said. <laughs> all, all I know is that the female main character um, is raped and then eventually falls in love with her uh, abuser. Rapist. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then apparently, like, many other novels uh, follow this, like, a similar storyline um female main characters being taken against their will by like sexy men but then end with an happily ever after mm -hmm. um so like essentially meaning like that the ends justify the means like oh you're happy at the end who cares how right. it happened um so uh uh the the author of this article like basically goes on to say that, like, these consent issues um, from novels of this time are likely due to so the societal understanding of consent in general. Um, lack thereof. Yeah, and so they, she kind of notes that, like, marital rape wasn't actually outlawed in all 50 states until 1993. Um, yeah. And the first state to outlaw it only did so in 1975, so it's, like, it's, well, I don't think the concept of, like, marital rape was even, mm -mm. like, that wasn't right. married. So. Right, yeah. Um, they, she did say that the first state to outlaw it um, didn't call it rape. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, somehow outlawed, but it wasn't, it still wasn't called rape, so. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you know what the first state to outlaw it was? I didn't write it down. It oh. was something obscure, like Michigan or something. <laughs> like, I remember Sorry, being Michigan. surprised, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was actually Michigan, though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um... And then, so, the the changes didn't happen overnight. So, 
Um, but like the mid 1980s is when like sort of the masses started to discuss discuss this issue. Um, there's a book called The Romance Revolution by Carol Thurston, which came out in 1987, and it kind of depicts the revolution in romance um, and, like, the criticism that the early genre, like, faced um, and the need um, and importance for the role of women and sex in um, to, like... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, like, reading this, trying to, like... <laughs> it's a quote. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, sorry. Quote, this book depicts the revolution in romance and the historical criticism associated with the subject, the need and importance for the role of women and sex in quest for a new sexual identity in literature. Wow. Yeah. Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at the Romance Writer... Romance Writers of America conference in 1985. Apparently there was like such heated debate about the definition of rape that some participants like walked out in protest. So it was happening. Yeah. Um, and so 1990, um, a group of students at Antioch um, College, which is in Ohio, um, they began a campaign to promote a culture free of sexual violence and they created a document called the Sexual Offense Prevention Policy. Um, and, like, basically it was, you know, like, what you would kind of think of consent now. Like, affirmative consent. Mm-hmm. Um, all sexual interactions must be consensual. Affirmative consent means verbally ask, asking and verbally giving or denying consent for all levels of sexual behavior. Yeah. Um, but this, like, document was, like, widely criticized and mocked, um, oh. including an SNL skit, Ugh. which it was, like, a game show called Is It Date Rape? Oh, my God. What the fuck? Um, yeah. And so, like, basically the joke is that, like, asking for consent isn't sexy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, oh, and then it's also, like, confusing to figure out, like, what? what consent is what it, like it's like no yes, actually are not so that hard. fucking hard and honestly <laughs> like what was the fucking sexiest book we talked about last season um talia hibbert where there's yeah. like explicit and it's like sexy consent like yes consent is fucking sexy yes, it is. like it totally is i mean such bullshit you can yeah it, <clears throat> it just isn't that hard yeah um, so early 90s is when explicit consent starts appearing in romance novels. Um, the author mentions, and she actually has a whole other article um, about a 1994 novel called It Had to Be You. Um, and this book actually sounds really interesting. So it's like a female main character who is a rape survivor. Um, and like, so she repeatedly tells the male main character to stop during sexual encounters. And he mm-hmm. stops every single time. Um 94. So, yeah. That's awesome. And that's, yeah. Um, which actually, honestly, also sounds like super hot. Like, yes. To, like, stop. Like, have to stop. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, no, of course. I mean, it's, yeah. It's just very affirming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So from here, she kind of, like, stops going, talking about, like, the history. And, and so... Um, moves on to dark romance. Um, and so I, and I like the way she described dark romance, so I'm going to quote her. Um, dark romance, on the other hand, is an entire sh- subgenre full of non consensual sex or dubious consent, non con or consensual non consent, 
is when characters engage in behaviors where other partners agree to give up consent. Dubcon is the gray area between enthusiastic consent and rape. The character hasn't given explicit consent, but may not consider the sexual encounter rape. Some romances are written specifically for readers to look to play out fantasies about kidnapping and rape. Mm-hmm. So the author highlights the important difference is that uh, between dark romance and rape seen in early romance novels is that like the authors are intentionally writing books without consent as a sexual fantasy. Yeah. Um, so the rape scenes in early romance instead, like they were depicted as being acceptable, like right. as long as yeah, the they're happy at the end. Totally yeah. Different. A totally yeah. different angle. Um, and then like this article didn't really get into it. Um, but I, I kind of want to like, just like talk about, like just you and me like discuss um just like briefly like why people might be into this kind of romance and this is like a whole you know like we're not psychologists and like the reasoning behind anyone's kink isn't important and you know yeah this is a healthy way of exploring any kind of kink is to read a book about it you know reading a book is there's no harm in reading a book totally <laughs> um so um but I just I feel like it's like it's interesting to think about, like, is it, like, an evolutionary holdover? Like, reproduction? Like, being hmm. dominated by the strongest male or whatever? Like, that's definitely seen in the animal kingdom. Yeah. Um, that's funny, because that was the exact opposite <clears throat> of my initial thought. <laughs> which is, like, totally has to do with, like, how we were socialized and when we were socialized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I, I mean, and who knows? It'll be interesting to see as we, like, raise a generation who mm-hmm. is... Like, learning about consent from, yeah. like, day one. Like, you don't hug your kids without permission. Mm-hmm. Um, if they will be interested in the same sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed, I'm sure some of them will. But, like, I think a lot of it is because, like, I don't know. I just think, like, how what we were raised on affects what we are, think about. Mm-hmm. And, like, some of, like, I never realized how hot consent could be. Mm-hmm. Like, real, true, verbalized, affirmative consent. Yeah. Until reading about it. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, the first 10 years of my sexual life, I didn't understand consent or what no. it really meant. No, Um, And so how would I even know? Like, it, mm-hmm. yeah, as a teenager, of course, it sounds, like, boring and not sexy. But right. it's totally, it's totally super sexy. sexy. Um, right. So, like, my other thing is, like, is it, it's, like, internalized misogyny. Like, I mean. Um, society just like telling us we want a strong male partner, dominating male partner. I think there's also something to, so for me personally, mm-hmm. it's like spend my whole life in control of every mm-hmm. situation and like always having, being on top of everything. Mm-hmm. There is something to that idea of like not being in control. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Um, and then so like going back to like the book I read, like, and my whole feelings of being, like, I'm, like, mad. I was, like, mad at myself, quote, unquote, for, yeah. like, enjoying parts of it. But, like. it feels, like, anti-feminist. Yeah. That. But <clears throat> going back to this, like, if if it's, like, no matter what reason that I might be into it, just the fact that, like, feeling shitty about it is, like, the part that, like, shouldn't happen. Like, yeah. reading it and enjoying it and understanding that that's what you enjoy, that's a fucking feminist act right there. Hell yeah. There's no, like, I don't think you need to feel bad about that. Like, if this is your thing, like, you don't need to feel bad about it. Read a fucking hot, sexy book about a fucking hot monster having dirty, raunchy sex. You (laughs) know, like, I don't know. 
It's, or like waking up on an alien planet with the, yeah, the alien exactly. eating you out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, and this this book wasn't perfect. Like I said, the fantasy could definitely use some work, but like I'm just I might read the second the one. <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah, but yeah, no, that I mean, ch- that's that's for sure true. Um, and I think like maybe I like I feel like I keep wanting to like make excuses for this book. I don't know. Well, yeah, no, I mean I <laughs> totally get it, and like I am absolutely a lover. I well, uh-huh. I love some dark romance. I also love like fantasy mm-hmm. romance and like erotica is great. Like I love yeah. a like densely packed sexy yeah. novel. But um, yeah, for me it is like a lot of it is about intent. Mm-hmm. And like, so I, I mean, it's like, it's like informed consent. It's mm-hmm. like the author needs to tell you what they're going to do to you before you read the book. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, I feel like, yeah, like, that's what I guess she was, like, trying to do with her warning, but I don't think her warning was enough. It wasn't clear. I mean, I guess yeah. you say it's dark romance, but I think that that is not, like, a universally accepted term for, like, this, I mean, yeah, I know. certainly didn't know it, that yeah, it meant. Yeah, that that's exactly um, what it meant. Yeah, but then, well, then apart, apparently, like, there's also, like, um, where'd it go? The, uh, dubcon, dubious mm-hmm. consent. Um, Which, I mean, I feel like is, like, at least 90% of all romance written before, like, 2010, really. Yeah, that's true, yeah. um, So, I mean, there is hella dubious consent in some of my, like, favorite reads. Yeah. You know. So. Um, And also my personal sexual history. Like, that's just not. Yeah. So, um, the only thing that really gets me about this book is, like, the... um, the, the promise to redeem the male yeah, character. Yeah, I mean, just like the whole way that the author is approaching it. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, and it's also no, like I, real raunchy, like yeah, and like the language is just like it's just like real crude, like oh, yeah. <laughs> which like I mean I'm not mad about that necessarily, <laughs> but like I yeah. And I mean, I hate to like bring it back to A Court of Thorns and Roses again in that whole series, but it's very, I mean, this sounds like pretty this similar. Made, yeah. But like, like dirtier and tame. darker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but like the whole premise is the same with like mm-hmm. the ancient as fuck male protagonist mm-hmm. and the like just of age female yep. protagonist. And um, at least like, in A Court of Thorns and Roses, she's not a virgin. But, like, I, mm. you know, the approach, I don't know. Just the, the I, author was, like, so aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this book, like, unabashedly is, like, all the things that, like, people hate. But, yeah. like, the author is, like, Lots of people hate this, but if you don't, that's okay. Which is great. <laughs> yeah. That is great. You don't have to, like, disparage the people who don't like it, though. Yeah. That's the only thing. But, Fair um, enough. yes. No, I mean, I <laughs> would probably read it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, interesting. Well, I think I just love that people are talking about it. Yeah. And that we have more clearly defined genre, subgenres yeah. now. Because that's, like, how you find yeah. what you like. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Good job. Thanks. That was fun. Do you know what you're reading next week? Oh fuck. <laughs> no, I don't. Um. Do you know what you're reading? I yes, I already started it. Um. So I should probably do this one because now oh, yeah. we're on a tight timeline. Yeah, <laughs> All right. I am gonna read "Kiss the Girl" by Melanie Jacobson. That's funny. I. 
just oh. opened my Goodreads and it's like, oh, Kendra <laughs> J has started reading Kiss the Girl. Um, so, and I will read Love and Other Disasters by Anita Kelly. Mm. All, All right. right. See you next time. Bye.